Hello, this is Brett Martin. I'm Colin Martin. I'm Caleb Martin. And we're coming to you from Chesbro Baptist Church, and we're continuing our series on Encouraged. And the title of the message this morning is Betrayed. And we'll be looking at Psalms number 54 and our study on the life of David. So please enjoy. Psalm number 54 this morning. We're continuing in our uh, series entitled Encouraged. And we're going through the life of David. And we're going through each psalm. A lot of these psalms, we don't know where in the life of David they were written. But some of the psalms have a superscript. And the superscript tells us when in the life of David the psalm was written and the circumstances under which he was going through in his life when the psalm was written. We've taken these psalms, we've put them in chronological order in David's life, and we're going to go through these psalms every week, and uh, that is this series entitled Encouraged. If you have your places in Psalms 54, I'm going to ask you one last time, if you're physically able, to stand to your feet in respect and reverence to the Word of God. When we begin reading in Psalms 54, we're going to read starting at the superscript. To the chief musician on Neganoth, Meshkil, a psalm of David, when the Ziphims came and said to Saul, Doth not David hide himself with us? Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them, Selah. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. The title of the message this morning is Betrayed. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing me to preach the Bible this morning. Lord, I pray that you speak through me, Lord. It's not about me. It's about your spirit. It's not about me. It's about your word. And Lord, I pray that us as the people would open our heart, Lord, to the word of God this morning. Thank you for what you've done for us. Give us a good service today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Life in Dublin, Ireland in the 1800s was very promising for a man named Joseph Scriven. Joseph Scriven had just graduated from business school and he was looking very much forward to starting his own business. Joseph Scriven had just, uh, he had just got engaged to his Irish sweetheart and they were engaged to be married and they were preparing the business of making a Christian family. Everything was going Joseph Scriven's way until the day before his wedding, his fiance tragically drowned. As they went into the water and they pulled his fiance's lifeless body out of the water, Joseph Scriven dove into a deep, deep depression. He decided he was going to move to Canada to try to escape his depression. 
But you know what he found when he got to Canada? He found that his burden had followed him all the way to Canada. It followed him. For the next 10 years of Joseph Scriven's life, he was in deep despair and a deep depression. And then uh, he got word that his wife, that his mother was in another season of depression just like him. And it drove him down and he um, drove him down much further. Everything was, everything was, was the whole world, the weight of the world, Joseph felt like was on his shoulders. And that's whenever he wrote a poem. This poem was entitled, A Friend Who Understands. Joseph Scriven took this poem and he published it anonymously. Somebody got a hold of the words of this poem and they turned it into a famous, beloved hymn. Years later, Joseph Scriven is nearing the end of his life and, and old Joseph Scriven needed a nurse to care for him. This nurse would come in and care for Joseph Scriven and, and, and one time she was straightening up some of his things and she came across the original words to this poem. She immediately recognized it. She went to Mr. Scriven and she said, Mr. Scriven, how come you didn't tell anybody that you were the one that wrote this? How come you didn't tell anybody that you were the author? Joseph Scriven looked at the nurse and said, because these words, they were private words. They were private words between me and my Savior. But you know, those private words have helped millions of people in encouragement. And those private words have helped millions of people in comfort. And the words to Joseph Scriven's poem goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy, laid encumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Now, uh, it's sadly that there is a final verse to this song that's not in your hymn book. There's a final verse to this song that was omitted from the hymns, from the hymn books. And the final verse to this song goes like this. Blessed Savior, thou hast promised thou wilt all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to thee in earnest prayer. Soon in glory, bright, unclouded, there will be no need for prayer. Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's kind of go back to where we were last week. And, and what we had is we had the atrocities of this man named Doeg as he carried out Saul's evil, evil plan to destroy the priests and destroy their families and to destroy the whole, the whole village, all the citizens of the village of Nob. And the cries of the innocent citizens of Nob are still crying out to the holy ears of God. 
And while this was going on, the conspiracy against David only intensified. So this conspiracy is intensifying. And as, as the blood drips, the blood still drips from Doeg's sword. Out of the bloodshed, God rescued one man. The man that was rescued and the man that escaped the bloody, horrible sword of old Doeg was a man named Abathar. Abathar just happened to be son of the lead priest. His name was Ahimelech. But Abathar got away when they were slaughtering the priests and slaughtering the families and slaughtering the, the women and children of the village of Nob. Old Abathar got away. But you know what? Uh, Abathar wasn't the only thing to escape. When Abathar escaped, he brought something else with him. He was able to grab something on his way out the door. And what Abathar grabbed on his way out the door was the sacred ephod. Now the ephod was a garment that the priests would wear. And inside of this garment, this garment is what they would use to determine the will of God. How they did this is inside of a garment pouch on this ephod were two stones. These stones were called the Urim and the Thummim. And the Urim and the Thummim, they used these stones to determine the will of God. The Urim and the Thummim could give you three answers. They could give you a positive answer, they could give you a negative answer, or they could give you no answer at all. Now you may say, well, that sounds like they were shooting dice to figure out God's will. You know, I mean, what's it take me from, you know, uh, opening up a game board and grabbing a pair of dice and, all right, God, tell me what to do, and throwing the dice to decide God's will. What's, what's the difference between now and then? Let me tell you what the difference is. The difference is me and you have something called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They did not. They did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come on them in certain times and certain seasons, would stay with them, and then the Holy Spirit would leave. Whereas me and you are blessed to have the Holy Spirit indwell our bodies after salvation for the rest of eternity. Now, uh, the thing is, is that, that they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So God determined this was how they would understand what his will is. So Abathar uh, escaped with the, with the holy ephod and got to David. And it was right about this time that the old Philistines had said, okay, we're going to come against Israel. They're weak right now. Their kingdom's divided. It's time to come against them. And so the Philistines started attacking a city called Keilah. Now, David... David's running for his life from Saul, but David's still, he's still an Israelite. He still loves his country. His blood still bleeds whatever color the flag is. You know, our blood bleeds red, white, and blue. Well, David was, David was an Israelite. He didn't want to see the Philistines take over a Jewish city. And so he went to God and he went to the ephod and he said, Okay, God, what do you want me to do? <clears throat> do you want me to go? and help this city of Keilah. So they went to the ephod and they got an answer. And the answer was, yes, I want you to go help them from the Philistines. So that's what David did. David got 600 of his men. He went to the village of Keilah and he smoked the Philistines and rescued the city. But let me tell you something. The citizens of Keilah were not very grateful. 
Man, David had just rescued them and David had just ran off the Philistines with 600 men. And you know what the, the citizens of Keilah did? They turned him into old Saul. See, word got back to Saul that David was at Keilah. And this is what, uh, this is what he said in 1 Samuel 23, 7. And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. And Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. So once again, David goes to the ephod and says, uh, oh, what, what should I do now? And through the ephod, God tells David that the citizens of Keilah were going to stab him in the back. That the citizens of Keilah were going to betray him to the backstabbing hand of old King Saul. And so once again, David took off. David took off and the Bible says that he went into the wilderness of a place called Ziph. Now, if you were David and you went to Ziph, you would breathe a sigh of relief. If you were David and you went to Ziph, you would have a, a sense of safety wash over you. Say, well, why is that? Because the Zithims were of the tribe of Judah. And David was of the tribe of Judah. This was his brethren. This was his family. These were his people. Man, he would expect an old dirty dog like Doeg to betray him and stab him in the back. But his own brethren? Surely his own brethren wouldn't betray him. Now let me tell you something. Not only did the Ziphims end up betraying David, but they even found a way to one-up old Doeg. That's right. As last week, I told you about how bad Doeg was. And as bad as he was, the Ziphims found a way to one-up old Doeg. You see, because Doeg, he only betrayed David once. The Ziphims betrayed David twice. In 1 Samuel 23, 19, the Bible says, Then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood, in the hill of Hakaliah, which is the south of Jeshimon? And then later on, that was the first time they ratted him out. And then the second time they ratted him out was in 1 Samuel 26, 1. And the Ziphites came to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself on the hill of Hakaliah, which is before Jeshimon? And not only did they rat him out twice, but they even invited Saul to their village. They invited Saul, hey, we want you to come down. And they said to Saul in 1 Samuel 23, 20, come down according to the desire of thy soul to come down and our part shall be, uh, shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. Betrayed. David was betrayed. He was stabbed in the back by his own people. He was stabbed in the back by his own brethren. He was stabbed in the back by his own family and stabbed in the back by his own brothers. A wife who, a woman who has been deserted by her husband would understand what David was going through. A businessman who was dumped by his partners would understand what David was going through. And a Christian who has been viciously attacked by his brethren in, in Christ without provocation and without a Bible reason would understand where David was coming from. David was betrayed 
by his own brothers. So once again, we go to the Lord. Lord, through David, show us what to do. Lord, through David, show us what to do when strangers have risen up against us. Lord, show us what do we do when oppressors seek after our soul? Where do we turn when we're at war with those who have have not set God before them? Basically, here's the question this morning. How do we encourage ourselves in the Lord while we're pulling the knife out of our back? How do we do that? Well, it's the reason why Psalms 54 is in the Bible. How do we encourage ourselves today? I want you to see this morning that the Zithim's betrayal did not drive David to rage. The Zithim's betrayal did not drive David to revenge. The Zithim's betrayal did not drive David to resentment. The Zithim's betrayal drove David to his knees. It drove him to his knees. And from his knees, David will teach us how to pray when our world is crumbling. He will teach us how to pray when we've been betrayed. He will teach us how to pray when we're pulling the knife out of our back, when someone very close to us has slipped it in ever so carefully. This is how we pray when we've been betrayed. Now, I have this morning 11 observations of this prayer in Psalms 54. Now, don't freak out. They, you, you may be saying, well, if he preaches for an hour with three points, what's he going to do with 11? They're short points. Great cosmic message, itty bitty point. So they're just small points here, but we're going to get through these 11 this morning. And here's number one. His prayer was simple. His prayer was simple. Verse number one, it says, save me. That's pretty simple. Verse number two, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. These were blunt words by a burdened man. Yet these words teach us how simple our prayer life should be. We don't need to wax eloquent for hours and hours when we talk to God. It was simple and to the point. Seven verses. You could read this psalm in less than 30 seconds. Now, we don't have this problem here. And man, anytime I tell a story like this, I have to put that disclaimer out there. We ain't got nobody like this here. But we've, you, we've all been in churches before where when the pastor calls on a certain person to pray, everybody collectively rolls their eyes because they know that guy's gonna, he's gonna pray for an hour, okay? He's just gonna, he's gonna go on and on. He's gonna say the same thing over five times before he moves on. We've all been in churches like that, okay? In fact, I was in a church one time where the pastor called on the man to pray, and the man prayed for so long, the pastor literally had to stop him and say, okay, so-and-so, God gets the point. Talk about an awkward situation, okay? Everybody left that day very quietly. And so, but we, you know, we've all seen like, we've all seen that, but uh, let me tell you, all that's not necessary when you come to God. It's not necessary when you come to God because when a child of God is in trouble, a simple cry is all you need. A simple cry is all you need and you don't need to reinvent the wheel when you pray. 
Just a simple statement about what you need is enough for God. Number two, his prayer was desperate. His prayer was desperate. David's life was in danger. And so he said to God, save me. Save me. This was not the cry of a lost man trusting God for salvation. It was the plea of a man whose life was in danger. When I was a small child, I mean, we're talking four or five years old, me and my dad pulled up to a convenience store on Presley Boulevard in Macomb, Mississippi. And, you know, he left the truck in park, running, ran into the gas station, left me in the truck. This is the 80s, okay? It was still okay to do. And so, well, after I get done telling you the story. But anyway, so uh, he ran into the gas station, and I'm sitting in the truck, and I thought, man, you know what would be fun to do? It would be fun to play with the gear shift. So I unbuckled my seatbelt, and I went over, and I was just playing with the gear shift, just because it had a little wiggle in it. And I accidentally pulled down too hard and pulled the, the gear shift down into drive. And I immediately knew when the truck started inching forward that I had messed up. I knew this was a very, very bad thing. So there I am in this truck. I'm four, four or five years old. I've got no way to stop it. And I'm going into oncoming traffic. I'm going into the road. Thankfully, thankfully, there was a gas station attendant who was watching me play with the gear shift. And as soon as I pulled it down, he jumped into action. The truck only rolled about five feet before that man. He ran out of the gas station, jumped in the truck, and put it in park. Okay? He basically saved my life, not only for me, but for my dad as well. Okay? Um, whoo, man, it was a close call. But the point of that story is this. As a four or five-year-old, I had no way to rescue myself. None whatsoever. Someone else had to jump in there. I couldn't rescue myself. And like a person that is drowning or a person who's on the top floor of a house fire, they, David understood, I cannot rescue myself. I can't do it. David was unable to rescue himself. This crisis, it could only be handled by God. David understood this. Number three, his prayer came from a powerless man. His prayer came from a powerless man. If David were to survive this encounter, he could not rely on his own abilities. He could not rely on his own abilities if he was to uh, survive this encounter. He looked to heaven and he recognized where his hope come from. Look at verse 1. It says, by thy name. Verse 1, it also says, and by thy strength. You see, when you, when you, by calling on the name of the creator, he, he invited God's involvement. By calling on the name of the creator, he invited God's presence. John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Therefore I take pleasures in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. If you were to be in a fight, a real fight, you would think that the most powerful fighter is going to win that fight. Or there's Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, whoever it's going to be. That's how long ago it was when I watched boxing, okay? Um, whoever it is in this fight, you think whoever is, gonna, is the most powerful fighter is going to win the fight. And you might be right. But you know what? When it comes to a spiritual battle, when it comes to a spiritual battle that God's involved in, it's not the most powerful person that wins. It's the most powerless person that wins. And when you're in a spiritual battle, the person who's going to come out on top is the one who's the most powerless. You see, because, because the more we remove our own ability, the more God's ability can shine through. You have to be powerless. Uh, John Philip, great man, once wrote, a God who can create galaxies is not intimidated by a man like Saul. A God who keeps order over all his creation is not going to let down one who is trusting in him. If God was with him, then all was well. Feeling powerless can be depressing. Feeling powerless can be disheartening. But admitting you're powerless to God can be comforting. And admitting you're powerless to God can be empowering in itself. So don't feel powerless. Admit to God that you're powerless. Number four, his prayer came from a just, from a righteous man. His prayer came from a righteous man. In verse number one, David said two words that are scary, scary words. Ooh, and you better be sure you got your ducks in a row before you say them. Here's the two words he said in verse number one that's very scary. He said, judge me. Judge me. You do not tell God to judge you unless you already know what the verdict's going to be. Don't tell God to judge you unless you know that. I watch this show on YouTube sometimes when I'm passing the time, and it's this real lawyer, and he takes movies and TV shows, and he shows how accurate they are to real life. And uh, it's pretty entertaining. And, and one thing that I've heard him say on a couple of his videos is that a lawyer is never surprised by what a witness says. You know, sometimes in TV and movies, the witness can say an answer and it can change everything. And the lawyer can be so shocked and the lawyer on the, on the prosecution is just looking around, what's going on? But, you know, it's not like that in real life. And he said in real life, when a lawyer asks a witness the question, he either A, already knows what the answer is going to be, or two, the answer he gives doesn't matter. Okay, that's real life. And in the same token, uh, in the same token of that, when you ask God to judge you, you better know he's not going to find anything wrong. You better know without a shadow of a doubt that you're in the right. David was willing to walk into a live cross-examination. 
He was willing to walk in the court and take the stand willingly. Why? Because David had no doubt that he had done right by the Ziphims. He had no doubt that in that situation he had done everything he was supposed to do. He could have confidence in a righteous God and knowing that, that he would be exonerated by the only one that mattered. He could have confidence. A person can't pray like this if they have something to hide. A person can't come to, God, come to God and say, judge me if they're hiding something. You can't pray like that. When a person can look to heaven and say, God, you know in this situation I didn't do anything wrong. Judge me. If I did do something wrong, show me. But if I didn't, then I want you to show so-and-so their faults. Because I can lay my head down on the pillow tonight and sleep in peace knowing that. I didn't do wrong in this situation. You can only say judge me if you've done right. You know, uh, human judges may be deceived. But you know what? The judge of the quick and the dead will never be fooled. He'll never be deceived. Number five this morning, I want you to see that his prayer was bold. His prayer was bold. Uh, here, David, David's a little demanding here. It sounds like he's a little demanding. Verse 2, he says, hear my prayer. He says, oh God, give ear to the words of my mouth. And we get this picture of this lowly peasant coming up to the highest authority in the land and demanding an audience. Give me an audience. Hear me. I don't care how much authority you have. I don't care how honorable you are. I don't care how low I am. Give me an audience. Hear me. And you know what God did? God gave him an audience. God uh, God, God heard him. And, you know, we might think, you know, where does it, God isn't taken aback by the fact that, da that David would stand up to God and demand to be heard. No, God's not taken aback by that. In fact, that's how God prefers it. God prefers us to come to him this way. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. Let me tell you something, Christian. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, never come to God sheepishly. Never come to God with your head held down. Never come to God with your tail tucked between your legs. Never do that. God will respect you more if you step up to the plate. And if you be bold and upfront and you admit it and you step up to him boldly, he'll respect you more. When I was a child and I would get a spanking, I would cry like a wild banshee. Neighbors could hear me crying from miles around. Then I grew up and I got a little older and I could see how that would affect my dad. And so I decided one day and said, you know what? I'm not going to cry this time. I'm not going to do it. And so I went down, and I lay down in the bed, and he got out the switch, and whack, 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 whack. Oh, and they were, they were tears. It was welling up, but I didn't let out a peep. And when I got done, I looked at my dad, and my dad, he was thoroughly impressed. He was really impressed by that because it showed him that I had matured a little bit, okay? He was impressed by that. Now, on the flip side, you didn't do that with mom. 
mom wouldn't stop until you started crying. So you, when mom spanked you, you cried before the first lick was hit. So you couldn't, you, you, you couldn't do that with, with mom. Exactly. But the point is, come to God with boldness. Stand up. Just don't, don't come sheepishly. Come boldly to God. Number six this morning, his prayer was vocal. His prayer was vocal. Verse two, David said, these words were the words of my mouth. The words of my mouth. Now, what does this indicate? This indicates that David prayed out loud. David prayed out loud. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you that silent prayer, a silent prayer does not have its place. Because, boy, it does. Silent prayer has its place. Silent prayer, when you pray to yourself, it allows you to pray in situations that you normally wouldn't be able to pray in, thus allowing you to pray without ceasing. Another advantage of silent prayer is the devil cannot read your thoughts. He doesn't know what's going on in your head. So when you pray in your head, the devil can't hear that. So let me tell you something. Silent prayer does have its advantages. But that is not to say that a loud, audible prayer doesn't have its place. Because a loud, audible prayer does have its place. An out loud, audible prayer puts you on a different level. It puts you on a different level. And when we pray out loud, we're better able to track our thoughts and articulate to God what we want to say and what we want from him. But basically what praying out loud does is it puts you on record. And not only puts you on record with God, it puts you on record with any person that's listening. And it puts you on record with any principality that's listening that you are going to depend on God for this need. And that's what praying out loud does is it puts you on record. Number seven, he prayed to God. He prayed to a God who takes sides. He prayed to a God who takes sides. Now, this is a difficult thing for most people in this day and time to accept. It's a difficult thing for people to accept today because um, the, the fact that God would take sides against a certain group of people, that's hard. it's a hard pill for people to swallow. And the world will try to tell you that if God takes sides, then he's not God. They believe in a God that is just, let's just all get along. Let's just love everybody and sing kumbaya and just get along. It's all, can't we all just get along? That's what they believe in. They don't believe in a God that chooses sides. This world says, oh, we don't have black and white anymore. We've got an unlimited number of shades of gray. See, but why the ACLU and Planned Parenthood and Oprah, they get offended and they get triggered when you say that God chooses sides, yet he does. And you know what side he chooses? He chooses the side of righteous people. He chooses the side of righteous people. And it's the reason why David could say, could point at the Ziphites at verse 3 and say, Strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. See, even though the enemies of David were men of Judah, 
Even though they were men of Judah, they had left the word of God a long time ago. So when it came to the word and will of God, they were strangers. They were strangers that were oppressing. They were oppressors of his soul. They should have been protecting their brother. But instead of protecting their brother, they were oppressors of their soul. In fact, they were from the, they were from the tribe of Judah. And did you know that, the, that Judah himself betrayed his own brother? Judah betrayed Joseph. And just like Judah betrayed his brother Joseph, the Ziphims would betray their brother, David. You know what? It's okay to point out somebody else's hypocrisy when pleading with God. That's okay. David did it here. Hey, you've made sure you're not at fault. You've said, judge me. You've been judged. You know you did everything right. It's okay to point the oppressor's faults out to God. It's okay to point their hypocrisy out when you pray to him. Verse, and then uh, we have point number eight. He prayed to the God who uses people. He prayed to the God who uses people. Look at verse four. Now, the, the words, the last part of verse 4, the wording here is extremely, extremely important. Listen to the wording here. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Let's read that one more time because the wording of what this verse is trying to get across is very important. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Modern scholars get miffed at these words. Modern scholars get upset at these words because the, just the thought that God's just simply thrown in and numbered with other people is just, it, it sets them off. It, it does not meet their approval. And so they change that verse to say things like, the Lord is the upholder of my life. And they just throw, throw those other people out of the verse. And, but what they're doing is they're missing the entire point of the verse. It's not that God is being numbered as just some schmo Joe along with everybody else. That's, that's not the point of the verse. What David is doing here is he is rejoicing in the fact that God uses people to be his instruments in a crisis. He is rejoicing in that fact. Even in this story, God rescues Abathar, who rescues David. Behind the scenes, his best friend Jonathan is also working to spare his life. So David is rejoicing that these people are in his life that God is using. Um, the, God, the same God that is able to guide the stone through the air and hit the giant in the head is the same God who can use a friend to help you with just the right encouragement. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. When you've been stabbed in the back and you've been betrayed, what do you do? Surround yourself with people who will lift up your soul because the Lord is with them. And that's what this verse is trying to say. Number nine. He prayed to the God who upholds. He prayed to the God who upholds. The, the word uphold here, it, it, it describes that the Lord is supporting David. It describes that the Lord is sustaining David. He is, uh, he is the friend with the arm around David's shoulders that helps him up. 
He's the champion that's ready to grab David's arm as he falls. David learned that God is not only able to meet every need, but that God has the appropriate remedy for every need. Number 10, he prayed to the God who gets it right. He prays to the God who gets it right. At the forefront of David's mind is the atrocities of old Doeg. Crushing David's heart is the betrayal by the Ziphims and the Ziphites. But still with complete confidence, he was able to say verse 5. Verse 5, he says, He shall reward evil unto my enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. David believed in the boomerang effect. Can anyone tell me what the boomerang effect is? What goes around comes around. You could also call it the, the law of the sower. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. So whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Last week I told you about all the horrible, horrible things that Doeg did. And I told you that according to the, it's not in the Bible. And if the Jewish historians are right, Doeg got away with what he did. Well, at least until he met God. At least until he met God, he got away with, he, he got away with it. And you know what? David was okay with that. David was okay with Doeg getting away scot-free on the earth because he knew one day Doeg would pay. And the fact that God would, would make Doeg pay, that was enough for David. Even if he never saw it, that was enough for David. When dealing with the Ziphims, David was, was certain that God would be just in this situation. God was willing to allow, uh, David was a, willing to allow God to work in his own schedule. Because David said, Lord, I may not see it. I may not see them get their comeuppance. But the fact that I know you're going to get them, that's enough for me. Even if I don't see it, even if, even if they have to wait till they get to heaven to get payback, that's okay. Because I've got faith in you that you're going to do it in your own time. Number, number 11, he prayed with incredible confidence. He prayed with incredible confidence. This psalm, it closes on an amazing note. Let's look at verse number 7. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon my enemies. You know, it's amazing that David could write these words while going through what he was going through. He wrote these words when the situation was not resolved. He wrote these words when he was still running for his life. He wrote these words when he had been betrayed by Doeg and betrayed by the Kelites and betrayed by the Ziphims. While this was going on, this is when he wrote these words. And he wrote the words that, 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 that he is delivered. Man, uh, let's just look at the superscript again. A psalm of David when the Ziphims came and said to Saul, Doth not David hide himself with us? With this in mind, how could David write this? In, in this situation, how, how, how can he say he's delivered? You see, with trouble and betrayal all around him, David prayed as if the answer had already come. He prayed as if the answer had already come. 
And he was so confident that God would meet the need when it was supposed to be met that he thanked God in advance. He thanked God before he got the answer. He thanked God for the answer before he got the answer. But how could David be so confident? How could David be so certain of God? Well, the answer is in verse number four. He says in verse four, God is mine helper. When my stepfather tells me he's going to do something, man, I take it to the bank. I can book on it. My stepfather keeps his word. And when my stepdad tells me, Mr. Obi tells me he's going to do something, I consider it already done. Why? Because with me, my stepfather has a track record. David had been delivered by God so many times that with David, God had a track record. God had a track record with David. His relationship with the Savior taught him that there would be no doubt that God would deliver him again. He's delivered me before. I have no doubt that God will do it again. And guess what? God, God did do it again. The first 26 verses of 1 Samuel 23, it reads like a comedy. Saul's there and David's here. Saul goes here and David goes there. David's on this side of the mountain and Saul's on this side of the mountain. They just keep missing each other. And Saul is, is, is determined to catch David, but God is more determined to protect David. And in fact, when the Lord got done with this little game of cat and mouse, he gave Saul something real to worry about. 1 Samuel 23, 27. But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. So, sure enough, God did it again. God delivered David. David was right. So once again, when all is said and done, David goes up to the choir director. He says, choir director, I've, I've got another song for you right here. I've got another song for the choir to sing. It's a song that tells us what to do when our friends have despised us. What to do when our friends have forsaken us. And basically it's this. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Because after all, isn't that how we encourage ourselves in the Lord? 